Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde, TV host by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night, and a health and a life coach always. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Come hang out as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely going to be some laughing. And hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. Brought to you by Clarence. Today we are talking about your pelvic floor. How much do you know about your pelvic floor? Do you know where it is? Its function? Its importance? What happens when we don't take care of it? This is... This was honestly really mind-blowing to me, friends. We have Kim Vopney joining us today on the podcast. Kim is a self-professed Kegel maven and is known as, get this, the vagina coach. She's a certified fitness professional who became passionate about spreading information on pelvic health after the birth of her first child. She suffered a little bit of a situation and that's where it came from. Listen, she's an author, a passionate speaker, and a women's health educator. She is so many things and she drops so much knowledge. Really, her goal is to work with women with core and pelvic floor challenges, but also help to raise awareness on the importance of our pelvic floor health, no matter where you are at in your life. So get ready, friends, take some notes, and get ready to give a little extra attention to your pelvic floor, thanks to the vagina coach. This is a very exciting day, Kim, because I am a big fan of breaking taboos and talking about subjects that make sometimes people feel uncomfortable, but I believe there's subjects that need to be talked about. I've spoken about poop a lot. I've talked about my period a lot. I've talked about my anxiety a lot, but I haven't talked about my vagina as a whole (laughs) enough. And you are the vagina coach. So today is a very special day. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the Healthiest Hot Podcast. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to talk about your vagina with you. <laughs> I mean, even just your office. Like I've seen a lot of virtual interview spaces, especially doing what I do as my day job during the pandemic and with the podcast the last couple of years. This is awesome. Like you've got yourself an awesome office. I am I am seeing pelvic floor physio just do it. I'm seeing a lot of vaginas and vulvas and pelvic bones, and it's just it's, it's an exciting time in your life. I call it my great wall of pussy. <laughs> That's the most amazing thing ever. Like, I feel like one day that needs to be like, I don't know, memory <laughs> somewhere on a billboard. I mean, how I does so. this all start? How does one become the vagina coach? Yeah, it's all, it's always a question I get because it certainly wasn't, it's not like it's a job description that you think about when you're a little kid. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a vagina no, coach. You didn't come home after like grade three and your parent was like, so Kim, what do you want to be when you grow up? No, actually I came home after grade six childbirth, like it was a a sex ed class and they showed us a childbirth video and I was like, "Mm, no, I'm not doing that. So that's where it started. (laughs) And then that was kind of my growing up was that 
I had this fear, but also fascination of childbirth. And I remember asking my mom questions about her body. And my mom was an OR nurse. She was very open with my brother and I. So she just told us like it was. And uh, anyway, so that was kind of also confirmation, like, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I grew up, I fell in love with my now husband, and we did just wanted to start a family. So another kind of pivotal point was my sister-in-law who gave birth the, the year before me, allowed us to come into the birth room. And uh, that was also like, I'd never seen anybody give birth in a sideline position. I'd never seen anybody using midwives before. And so that was also a point where I actually was very empowered by that experience. And that was when I said, okay, I can do this. And then the next year I was pregnant and using midwives and had asked them about how can I prevent tearing? How can I prevent incontinence like my mom had and all, all these issues? And they said, well, there's something called perineal massage. And we've also heard of this thing called the Epino, which is a biofeedback device for the pelvic floor. And so I Googled this device and I thought it made perfect sense. It was a, uh, coming from a fitness background, I understood the principles of stretch and strength and kind of preparation for a physical event. And I viewed birth like an event I was training for. So I purchased one of these, they're from Germany, and I had a great experience. And so then I said, how is it that not every single woman or person giving birth is aware of this? And I contacted the company and said, could I be a distributor here in Canada? And they said, sure. <laughs> and the, it wasn't supposed to be a business. Like I just kind of thought if I could sell a few of these on the side, I'd have a little bit of extra pocket money. Yeah. I'd save a few vaginas and there you go. And so that's how it started. And uh, it was an e-commerce store for a while. And then I formed a second business with two other women, Samantha Mombatihuan, I know you've had on your show before too. She was one of my business partners and we were trying to optimize postpartum recoveries. And then we carried on the journey and all of us then started to go through our own perimenopause and menopause journey. And we said, this is a conversation that is not just about do your Kegels and pregnancy. It's, it's really, we deserve information through all of the life stages. And so I'm now myself in postmenopause and I help women through all life stages with online coaching and programs. And I also have a certification course for professionals who want to learn about this stuff. Because really, at the end of the day, it's, I think, one of the most undervalued and underappreciated parts of the body. And if anybody is working with people in a movement or health capacity with their body, if they don't know about the pelvic floor, they're missing a huge, huge piece of information. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, as as someone in this space who like has a couple little baby businesses, I am so just inspired by you and how life threw you uh, challenges, obstacles, opportunities, and you not only jumped on them for yourself, but was able to step back and think about how this might impact like a greater population mm -hmm. and have essentially since then like built an empire. Like I find that so <laughs> inspiring. Um, and it's clear that you're very, very passionate about this. And I think it's not something that's talked about enough. I, I, yeah. I like think of myself as someone who's like pretty abreast on like what's happening in the health and wellness space. And I have not had many a conversation about pelvic health, you know, Kegels outside of like joking sex conversations. And I am starting to get to the point in my life, I'm 33, where a lot of my friends are popping out babies. And so now they're starting to pop up in conversational health. But even then for my friends, like they're kind of embarrassed that they have mm -hmm. leakage. They're embarrassed that they had a tear and they have to sit on an inflatable donut after giving birth. And they're scared to have another baby because yeah. they've, you know, had these like physical tears and trauma to their body, you know, in also a very beautiful life event. So I think there's so much work 
that can be done still in this space. And what I think is really cool about what you're doing is you're saying these types of conversations and pelvic health education is not just for the person, you know, that's thinking about having a baby or might be pregnant. Like you're kind of suggesting that everyone should get involved in this. A thousand percent. And I actually, if I reflect back to when I was in grade six and seeing the childbirth video, during the time when I'm learning about menstruation, when I'm learning about body health, when I'm learning about sexual health, how about we learn about pelvic health as well? How about we are told the importance of this part of the body and how we as females go through lots of different life stages that are different from those people with male anatomy. So we go through menstruation. The majority of us will become pregnant at some point in our life and give birth. All of us will go through menopause and, and, we are more likely to experience challenges doesn't mean they're normal it just means that they're very common so if we know that information ahead of time and if we're also told about care providers that can help us so i think back also to grade school where we get visits from the dentist and we learn how to brush and floss our teeth and we are told to go see the dentist once or twice a year and and we do and we i've been going once or twice a year for for my whole life i'm 51 years old like I I go all the time and I go, even if I don't have a toothache, I just go because I'm supposed to. And I think if we have that exact same PR for our pelvic floor and we plant that seed early and we know that we were becoming sexually active, we've got pelvic floor physiotherapists and personal trainers who can help me, it, you know, prevent. So I just go see them even if I don't have a problem. But also if I do have a problem, I know that that's my best first line of defense, not my family doctor. With all due respect, we need medical people on our team, but from a pelvic health management pelvic floor physio and and pelvic floor exercise are are just the way to go. So um yes, much earlier if then not if not then then obviously pregnancy. So that's where I started was I wanted to get this into the hands of more people before they gave birth. So prepare the body for birth, prepare for your recovery. And what I recognize and still do see is while the conversation of pelvic health is becoming a lot more talked about, it's also still something that people shy away from a little bit. And they also think, well, I'm good. I- I'm okay. I'm fit. Yeah, I, I do my Kegels. I- I'm good. I don't need birth prep. I don't need information about how to recover. I'm good. I've got this. And after the fact, so many times I hear after the fact, people say, I really wish that I had paid attention, or I wish that I had listened to you or I'd wish that because people are more motivated to fix a problem that exists than they are to prevent it from happening in the first place. So the the piece about pregnancy is not just do your Kegels. We need a lot more than that. It's about birth positioning. It's about uh, movement during birth. It's about preparing the birth space. It's about how we uh, recover afterwards, because right now what exists in pregnant in the world of pregnancy is you get told to do Kegels. And we also know from research that most people are doing them incorrectly. So then they're like, I don't, I'm not even sure if I'm doing them correctly. And if they are, if I am, then fine. But, and then afterwards, we have this six week green light that's sort of hanging here saying, okay, well, I can go back to my normal fitness activities. I can go when I reach six weeks. So we, we're hanging out. <laughs> we, we, we go to our six week checkup. And now a lot of people aren't even, ha- they don't even get an internal evaluation or assessment during that six weeks. So they just kind of check the abdomen. If there's been any tearing or an episiotomy scar, they'll look visibly externally. Yeah, it looks like it's all healed. Yeah, you're fine. Okay, you're good to go back to normal. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. So while the superficial tissue healing has happened during that six-week time, 
the pelvis and the pelvic floor muscles that have all of these incredible, incredibly important jobs that we've never been told about, such as organ support, continence, core, uh, pelvic and spinal stability, uh, sexual response. Those jobs are all really vital, vitally mm-hmm. important to our health and well-being. Yet the changes that have happened in pregnancy have altered its capacity to do all of those jobs. And it needs time, not just superficial tissue healing time. It needs retraining. It needs some core reconnection. It needs some gradual loading. And it's more like a six-month recovery, sometimes even a year for many people, rather than a, a six-week green light. So the pregnancy and childbirth and constipation, those are the two biggest contributors to pelvic floor dysfunction. And why we are not given, even, even in pregnancy, oh, you might become constipated. Okay, so I understand that that might happen. There's lots of hormone changes. But how about how I manage that and how yeah. I make sure that I'm not constipated after knowing that I'm going to push out a baby and I'm straining to poop? That's really damaging to my pelvic floor. And no one tells us this information. So why do you think that is? Like, why do you think there is this lack of dissemination of information? <sighs> There's so many things I could say for that answer. And I think one thing that became very clear to me and I think to a lot of people during the pandemic is our healthcare system in North America is very much a sick care model, not a healthcare model. And people became much more, I think, open to the possibility of there being other avenues to pursue in terms of problems or issues. So I think mainstream medical or allopathic medicine is amazing when we need surgery when we have an infection that requires a pharmaceutical that's where they thrive and that's where they excel and we are so fortunate to have them Mm -hmm. but in terms of optimizing health and function and longevity and wellness they receive no education on that so it's not their fault it's just that's just how it is and so when they are approached about problems like incontinence they know that there are drugs for overactive bladder they know that there are surgeries for incontinence or organ prolapse. And so that's where they are more likely to direct people. And because the patient is maybe not as informed about other options, they just trust their doctor. And so I think it's, um, I think that there is an amazing evolution that is currently happening with podcasts and social media and how healthcare had to go online during the pandemic. So I think that there is a major shift, even my own allopathic physician, she closed her practice down during right after the pandemic, she said, this is all backwards, I I want to help people be well, and I am managing sickness, really is what I'm doing. And I think that I need to pursue something different. So she closed her practice. And she's now in in, uh, she just said energy medicine, I don't know what she has, has gone into. But and that's not the first time I've heard that story. So th- to answer your question, I think it's just that we have relied so heavily on the medical community that has been able to prescribe pills or surgery. And it's taking a while for the conversation to expand and say, actually, there's all these other things that we could do. Those could be an option down the road, but let's try these other things first. And ideally, let's see some collaboration between all of these practitioners. And how empowering as well when people do find resources like yours or, you know, alternative medicines that are maybe not just like healing the sick and instead preventing illness. 
I mean, how empowering to the person who's like, oh shit, like I actually have it within myself to show up and do the work and possibly get to know my body better and feel better at the end of the day. And I think that's why, you know, what you do is so important and what, you know, conversations like this are so important is maybe one person will hear it and they'll be able to take this information and tell another person and hopefully it'll just spread. And I think it's so important as well to just a reminder with general health inquiries is you got to advocate for yourself. Like you got to take it upon yourself. The medical community is there. They are taught what they are taught and what they're taught is probably great, but a little bit archaic and could be evolved. And I think it's, I think the conversation around health post pandemic has changed, which I think is so, so great. So I really want to start off with the basics for someone who's listening to this and they're like, cool. I've heard pelvic floor a lot. I've heard public health (laughs) a lot. I don't even know what my pelvic floor is like where, like, and there's no judgment if if you're listening and you're like, that's me. I've been Googling it this entire time because I think it's just not something we're taught. It's not something we talk about. So what is our pelvic floor? You already mentioned a couple of the really important factors, but like, what do we need to know about it? It's time for Chloe's Clarence pick of the week. Ooh. Oh yeah. All right. So I am highlighting some of my favorite Clarence products that I have been so fortunate to play around with this year. I still can't believe that they're a podcast sponsor. It's pretty surreal. So last week we talked about an epic day cream. Tonight I want to talk about not a really big surprise, an epic night cream. It is so important, you guys, to have a skincare routine both in the morning and in the evening. Your skin and your body and your health and your just overall well-being deserves these little pockets of the day where we focus on self-care. And putting on a night cream is such a beautiful way to kind of wash off the day, welcome an evening, and hopefully you can go into that slumber stress-free. And I think it's so nice to have your night cream be a part of that kind of self-care routine. And so that's why I'm talking about Clarence and their multi-active night. This is so, so great. So this one is packs a bit of a, a bigger punch than the day cream. It targets fine lines. It's a revitalizing night cream. And so it really works deep within the skin so that when you wake up in the morning, there's work that's been done, honey. It's a little bit thicker than the day cream, which we love at nighttime. I just kind of pile it on after my serum. So gals, whether you are someone who is new to the skincare routine or you already have a very extensive one, Clarence Multi-Active Night is a must, must have. Your skin deserves it. You yeah, deserve it. Yeah. Let's get back it, to the You're chat. not alone. There are so many people that are that have no idea who have birthed babies, who have had insertive sex before, and then and then they still have not no idea about actually the anatomy. So I always use my my little model here to help because I think it's helpful to see things. So this is a pelvis. So whether you have male or female anatomy, you have a pelvis. And the difference in the female pelvis, the the bones are wider and the hip bones are not quite as tall as they would be in a, in a male pelvis. And we also have a, a vaginal opening and we also have a uterus. So those are big changes, big differences between the two. So from a female pelvis perspective, this is what it would look like. And at the front, if you if you're watching or even just listening, if you take your fingers and put them on what we are often told is our pubic bone, it is actually an intersection of two bones. So it's actually a joint there, the pubic symphysis joint. So that's one place where the pelvic floor muscles attach. And then if this person, so this is a person standing facing forward, if they were then to go and lay down on their back, then you see a couple of other points where these muscles attach. So the sits bones, 
and then also the tailbone. So if you were sitting upright and you lifted up a butt cheek and you pulled the flesh of your butt cheek away, you should feel a bony point through there. That's a sits bone on one side. You have one on either side. And then I'll turn this around so you're looking at the back. So their butt cheeks would be here. And we have this triangular bone here called the sacrum. And at the end of the sacrum, we have our tailbone. And so those four points, the pubic joint, the two sit bones, and the tailbone form the attachment points for the pelvic floor muscles. And the pelvic floor is not just one muscle. It's actually three different layers. So the first layer is primarily responsible for um, sexual response. The second layer is primarily responsible for managing our three openings. So we have the urethra, we have the vagina, we have the anus. So those three openings are managed mainly by the second layer of the pelvic floor muscles. And then the third layer is primarily responsible for organ support. So we have the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum. And keeping them in their proper anatomical position is something we all would like. Yeah, <laughs> um, kind of because the, Yeah, and because the pelvic floor attaches to the base of the spine and also to the pelvis, it plays a role in our pelvic and spinal stability. And it's actually the foundation of our core. We've all heard of core exercise and core fitness. Never once has anybody talked about how the pelvic floor is a major contributor to our core function and it can make our core exercise better. So those are really important jobs. And it's often not until we have an issue, like a problem to overcome, that we learn about this. And it's never too late. There's lots of things we can do to intervene and overcome these. But again, I always come from a place of prevention. If we if we are provided this information, ahead of time and given tools to help us manage the different fluctuations of hormones, the different life stages that we go through as women, I think it would really transform the next generation. And there wouldn't be this silent suffering that so many people go through because they think it's quote unquote normal. We see all the different pad companies marketing to us, um, you know, pretty much every day. And especially if you watch things like HGTV, <laughs> like I do, you you see these messages that light batter leakage is just part of being a woman or that just slip on these, you know, wrinkly, crinkly things that are supposed to look like sexy black underpants and jump on the back of a motorcycle with a handsome man and ride off into the sunset. I, we're missing a major message there. Those can play a temporary role while you are getting treatment, but this is not something that you need to live with and suffer through with. And I don't know anybody who would put on that pair of underwear and feel confident. Yeah, They are masking a symptom and they are still thinking, can anybody hear it? Can anybody smell it? Am I leaking? Am I, but, but so it's just, uh, it's challenging. Anyway, that's the pelvis. That's the, that's the group of muscles we're talking about. And when they work optimally, we don't even think about it. When they are not working as well as they should, we might experience things like incontinence. So urine leaking out of the body when you don't want it to. And it might be, stress urinary incontinence where you laugh cough sneeze jump and some sort of exertion means that you can't kind of close those openings off and a little bit of urine leaks out there's also urge incontinence which is more uh to do with a trigger that all of a sudden sends alarm bells to your bladder and it's like i have to get there urgently and people are racing to the bathroom and sometimes they don't make it in time or uh, sometimes a little bit of urine will leak out along the way but oftentimes there's a complete release of the bladder and you could have a combination of the two. And you can also have anal incontinence where gas or stool can leak out, which is less common, but much more life altering, as I'm sure you could imagine. So that's kind of the incontinence piece. And then we have the organ prolapse piece. So I talked about organ support of the bladder uterus rectum. If either of those organs shift out of their proper anatomical position, 
In the case of the bladder, so here's actually, let me hold the organs this way. So here's our nestled together. This would be, you know, ideal textbook anatomy here. This tube is the vagina. Mm -hmm. This is the uterus on top. This is our bladder. This is the rectum. Okay. So that's how they ideally would be sitting in our body. If my bladder starts to shift out of its position, it can bulge into that anterior wall of the vagina, the front wall of the vagina. And that's called a bladder prolapse. It can be called a cystocele. It can also be called an anterior wall prolapse. If my uterus started to descend into the top of my vagina, that would be a uterine prolapse. And if my rectum started to bulge into the back wall of my vagina, that would be called a rectocele or a posterior wall prolapse. Now, men and women can have something called a rectal prolapse where the rectum can bulge out the anus. So those are um, all very complicated, I would say. Again, yeah. it's it's it still can be complicated to understand what's happening. But statistically, incontinence is about 35, 40-ish percent of women. Prolapse is 50%. 50% of women who have given birth in their life have some form of prolapse. Those numbers Super. are shocking. Yeah. I was not so, expecting you to hover around the half of women. I know experience this because when you immediately when you were talking about incontinence I, I immediately got a flashback of the last time I my memory recalls having an accident in school and being a child in elementary school and that was the situation that at 33 is still something that my brain like brings up as this traumatic embarrassing event yep. and to think that a huge number of women have to deal with this on I'm sure sometimes a daily basis and that's multiple times a day one of the issues that can happen if we don't prioritize our pelvic floor health it's really like I'm, I'm covered in goosebumps right now because I, I didn't realize the like ubiquitousness of, of of these kinds of issues and it makes sense that we have all these commercials targeting us because they have a huge they have a huge market to target a thousand percent it what like here's the, another here's another number Oh, the people who start leak. So it's very common to experience incontinence during pregnancy. And that can be because of hormones. It can be because of the, the postural adaptations, like the way our body is changing. Uh, it can be to the pressure on the bladder. Lots of different things can contribute to it. And if you experience it in pregnancy and don't address it, the likelihood of you continuing to have it is very, very high. So lots of research says don't wait, just you yeah. have to get on top of this now. But for the people that aren't aware of that, yeah. And they're like, oh, I was, I was told this could happen. And it's kind of brushed away as like, yes, that happens. It's very common in pregnancy. And then afterwards, they're still leaking. And then, of course, they hear messages like, oh, I know you can't jump on a trampoline anymore. And you can't. So again, it's normalized. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, well, OK, so they're in their, say, early 30s. As you mentioned, your group of friends is in that target range. and They're starting to have families and they start wearing pads. And they continue to wear pads and pads and, and it's not addressing the problem. So it's a Band-Aid solution. And in their lifetime, if left unaddressed, the amount of money they would spend would be somewhere between, depending on how many that pads are using in a day, thirty dollars to $70,000 in pads. Like, I am so frustrated hearing this information and like the that talking about this is not more like i am so shook right now kim um i'm gonna become like an 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 ally in your yeah. world because this is 
this is so backwards that so many women have to struggle in silence, use their hard-earned money to, you know, put a band-aid solution on something that maybe could be altered in like a more holistic way. And I think this is why, like you mentioned, it's so important that we have these conversations early so that there's less shame and guilt and whatever other icky feelings are like swept under the rug. Um, my gosh. And even just yeah. like when you showed me the model and just how big and large these layers of this muscle muscles are, I don't know if it's one muscle or multiple, the organ support is something that my brain didn't like realize until you showed me the model like how incredibly important is it that our muscles like hold our organs in place like we go to the gym we do squats we do bicep curls like we work on so many other muscles we make sure that our heart muscle is healthy but this is this is one of those muscles that we need to care about a little bit more totally and when you have so i'll shift over to to organ prolapse now so incontinence is very common I would say it's arguably way more common than what statistics tell us because that's reported cases. So you think about all the people that are just like, oh, it's normal. It's just the way it is now. Um, If you shift over to prolapse, the mental health component is another part that we need to talk about. So yes, there's a little bit of a a mental health component to incontinence. I don't mean to, to downplay that, but it's easier to be able to put on a pad and just kind of go about your day. Mm -hmm. With prolapse, the sense of vulnerability is, uh, I can tell you from a personal experience, because I have experienced prolapse, it is you you move differently. You sometimes are afraid to move. You definitely don't feel sexy and don't want to have anybody touching you. It's often shameful. You, it's embarrassing to talk about with your partner. You will avoid social outings. Um, your Your whole life gets taken up by this diagnosis of prolapse that 50% of women who've given birth have. Actually, at at six weeks postpartum, 83% of women have some degree of prolapse. And 52-ish, I believe, percent of that 83 have a stage two. So there's prolapse is graded one to four, four being the most extreme, one being the earliest. So they have a stage two or greater. Why the hell is nobody screening for this and giving people information ahead of time on how to reduce the likelihood of it happening? But also then how can we implement some recovery strategies so this is not something that is contributing i believe it's contributing to the breakdown in many relationships mm-hmm. because people you you withdraw like i i work in this field i knew what was happening in my body i know um i knew some of the things i actually dealt with uh, in my 40s when i was hitting perimenopause i hadn't heard the term perimenopause before so a lot of looking back a lot of the symptoms that i had were perimenopause but I also had an undiagnosed uh, autoimmune condition that all of a sudden I developed constipation for the first time in my life. And I had, I was doing, I, I exercise, I ate fiber, drank water, <laughs> do all the things you're supposed to do when you, when you're experiencing constipation, nothing was working. And it wasn't until I got to the root cause, which was an autoimmune thyroid condition that I could alleviate that. However, as I was trying to navigate that, that downward pressure from constipation was exacerbating an early stage prolapse that I'd had from childbirth. And also I developed a stage two uterine prolapse and it halts you in your tracks. Yeah. And the when it, there's a woman named Stephanie um, who owns a, um, uh, has a podcast called Brave Mama. And she talks a lot about birth injuries and prolapse after that. Like that's her whole mission. And one thing she said really hit me one time is we have always said, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction is not life 
threatening, but it's quality of life threatening. And I agree with that statement. And one of uh, Stephanie's episodes, she said, I actually call bullshit on that. She said, especially a prolapse diagnosis, it is life threatening. The people who become suicidal because they think, how can I live the rest of my life with the status of my pelvic, with my organs falling out? And uh, I won't go into all that, but there's lots of other birth injury aspects of that that can make that more uh, difficult to manage. So there are surgical interventions, there is exercise, there's lots of things we can do for prolapse. But again, so many people, first of all, have no idea what prolapse is, then they get the diagnosis. And now they aren't quite sure how to move forward and think that this is this is it, this is what I have to do. And their their whole life turns upside down. When you are I mean, friends, like if you if we like I've never experienced any of these things, but I think of a day when I have, you know, debilitating period cramps or a really bad headache or I have friends with migraines, and that's something you experience for a day, maybe a couple of days, and you think about how much that affects your ability to go to work, your ability to be kind to your partner, your ability mm-hmm. to, you know, make good healthy choices, your quality of sleep everything gets affected in such a negative way when you are in that much pain or not feeling like yourself. And then I think about, you know, the people you're talking about and that's how they feel every single day. And you can only imagine like the ripple effects that would have on somebody's quality of life. And it's just, it's really, it's like quite, quite shocking. So, I mean, like, like what can we do? Like, you know, I, I'm someone who I try really hard to take care of my health and I, I am recognizing that I am falling short <laughs> my pelvic floor health department. And, you know, maybe one day I will have a child and, you know, what are some things, some actionable things that we can do to start treating our pelvic floor health, like a good old dentist appointment? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually easier than we think it is. And, Starting out with the the number one thing I always say to every single person is go see the dentist for your pelvis, which is the pelvic floor physiotherapist. If you live in the United States, it's called pelvic floor physical therapy as opposed to physiotherapy. Uh, The UK and Canada call it physiotherapy, but it's the same profession. It's just named slightly different. And they have additional training. So they have their physical therapy education and license. And then they take additional training in the pelvic floor and they can evaluate and treat. They are licensed to evaluate and treat beyond the entrance to the vagina. Um, for some, they may actually even do a rectal examination. That's not always, but it could be potentially a piece of it. And that's how if men who require pelvic floor physio, they would have a rectal evaluation. And to me, it is the most underused women's health resource that we have. And so if there was one thing that you take away from this episode is find a pelvic floor physiotherapist and book an appointment. And in Canada here, you don't need a referral. Uh, You can just Google pelvic floor physiotherapy in your city or your town. There's also a directory at pelvichealthsolutions.ca. In the United States, there's the American Physical Therapy Association. There's also a website called pelvicguru.com. And again, Google, we can do that anywhere in the world. Uh, And find somebody who is, make sure you ask that this person is licensed to do internal evaluation and, and go have an appointment. And it'll be an hour long ish, usually, and they look at posture and breathing and how you move. And the internal evaluation is really only about 10 ish minutes, depending on the person. Uh, I've got videos on my YouTube channel about what actually happens during that internal evaluation. It's not at all like a pap, which none of us, you know, that whenever we think of an internal evaluation, we think of a pap and we all cringe and it's not at all like that. It's it's there's no speculums involved. There's gloved fingers. It's done only with your consent. 
And it is such an amazing education in your body. And people can walk away often from their first appointment with less symptoms and tools as to how to overcome them. So that's my first step. The next step is pelvic floor is not accessible to everybody for a number of reasons, but that doesn't mean that you can't evaluate your own body. You can use your own fingers and evaluate inside your vagina and feel if you can if you can feel the muscles working. Uh, if you have a partner, they could use their fingers. If it's a male partner, they could use their penis. There's also biofeedback devices. The two most popular are the LV and the PeriFit. And those are they basically attached to an app on your phone. And it's like playing video games with your with your pelvic floor <laughs> muscles. But but a, a Kegel is often what we hear about, right? So we're often, we many people or most people have heard of the term Kegel or Kegel. And it is a voluntary activation and relaxation of that group of muscles, the pelvic floor muscles that we were talking about earlier. So there's a kind of a closure that happens, there's a lift that happens, and then there's a release. So just like when I do a bicep curl, there's a, a range of motion that my arm goes through. So here's my fully a kind of relaxed resting state. And there it is fully contracted. And the pelvic floor is the same. There's a range of motion that it goes through. And if it is stuck, say in a partially contracted state. So if my arm was like this and I was walking around, say like carrying a bag of groceries or something, this muscle would become achy and tired. And part of my force, part of like, if I down here, I have all this force available, but if I've already used part of it up and I'm asked to do something more, it's like, Oh, I, I don't react at the right time. I may not react with the right amount of force. And that same thing can happen in our pelvic floor. Mm. So Getting an understanding of if your pelvic floor is overactive, like tends to hold on to more tension, or if it's if it's more lax, is important. Uh, and then doing Kegels, to what, so whether you have more tone or less tone than is optimal, Kegels still play a role. It's just the part of it that you focus on might be different initially. So for people that have more laxity, they really want to focus on that contract and lift. For people that are already kind of holding on to more tone, they want to focus on that relaxation. Mm -hmm. And the pelvic floor works in synergy with our breath. When we inhale, the pelvic floor is relaxing. And when we exhale, the pelvic floor is activating. So to for those that need to focus more on relaxation, which is actually arguably the most uh, most common, <laughs> is you want to practice inhaling and expanding and thinking about your vulva blossoming or think about your sit bones widening. I've got videos on my YouTube channel about that as well. For those that need to work on the upside, they can exhale and think about things like picking up a blueberry with their vagina in their anus or sipping smoothies through a straw with their vagina. Yeah, that's so visual. I love it. I'm like doing these as you explain them and the smoothie one worked great for me. Perfect. And that's such a good thing. That's such a valid point because there, there I could throw you 10 different cues and there's nothing is like to say that's the best cue. That's the best cue. It's whichever one's the best for you. So the smoothie one resonated with you. Fantastic. And there are some people that say, well, I actually like the blueberries for the inhale and I like a jellyfish for the, uh, sorry, uh, blueberries for the exhale and, and jellyfish for the inhale. So they do a combo type and play around with the different cues and play around with what, what you feel in your body and also do it in different positions. And then the last thing I'll say is Kegels miss the mark in the sense of they are a static exercise. So you might say, oh, do them at every red light, do them while you brush your teeth, do them while you're watching Netflix. And again, that's better than not doing them at all. But things like leaking or pressure from prolapse or 
back pain, those things happen while we're moving most of the time. And we need to train the pelvic floor to react and move with us and also retrain the reaction time and that force that we need the pelvic floor to have. So I always layer pelvic floor activation or Kegels into dynamic full body movement. Oh, wow. Like we're talking a squat, a walk. Not walking, but things like squats, um, bridges, lunges, even yeah. bicep curls, chest press, push-ups, planks. Oh, great. Yeah. So with cardio. Breath, you know, pair it with your breath. Yes. So we hear in fitness, like exhale on exertion. Yeah. So when I'm retraining or having somebody retrain, they would exhale, activate their pelvis. So in your case, exhale, sip your smoothie. Yeah. And then stand up from your squat or push up from your push up or whatever it is. So you're pre-contracting the pelvic floor just before you do that exertion. And that retrains the timing of the pelvic floor. And then obviously the more you do that, it will become stronger and have more endurance. And then you can start to add load. So then you, you know, so many people are afraid to lift weights uh, when they have pelvic floor dysfunction, but we need just like the rest of our body, how do you build up strength? You impart a load on it, the body adapts, and then you make it a little heavier or more challenging. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the pelvic floor. Kimmy, you are such a force. Um, I, I thank you so much. I was looking forward to this chat. I didn't realize how impactful and how visceral my emotional and <laughs> physical response was going to be. Um, it's so important what you're doing. And I, I really thank you for like sharing your time and your wisdom with us. And I'm going to spread the gospel of pelvic floor health. Thank you. And we'll make sure to have all the links down below. But my gosh, I mean, thank you so much for sharing all this. You really, it was very humbling to learn about all of this <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate it because, you know, us being able to share stories like this and having platforms that you're, that you're sharing with the world, that's how the message gets out. So thank you so much for having me. Well, 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 who else is feeling fired up and inspired after that chat? Yeah, same here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast in the books. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. And look, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a cute little comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Brought to you by Clarence.